Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's conversation is about centralized versus decentralized platform engineering, or as came up in the conversation about platform engineering, it's the opposite of Java enterprise uh, version and platform. Um, we have a really thoughtful conversation about the human and management factors that go into building great platform engineering and the efforts of control, having too much control or too much flexibility, not enough collaboration, not creating space for innovation and changing inside what's inside these platform engineering efforts. Uh, it was really a fantastic discussion overall that went through the process and really something that as you're doing this type of work, interacting with platform teams about or thinking about platform teams should influence how you design and authorize the effort to make that work. Uh, what type of slack you need to put in the system, what type of authority needs to be given to the platform engineering team. Overall, a fantastic conversation, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Unfortunately, the, the glamour ends up being ends up lying on the on the tools and not so much on the process. Uh, like in, in my opinion, the like the, the absolutely first step is like you need to know systems architecture and design. It doesn't matter what system you do it on. So that if that knowledge is portable. But if you enter it without that, um you you're you're gonna be treading deep water soon. Yeah. It's interesting to me because we had we were doing a series of interviews for people, um, and they were using technology but not understanding technology. In that sense, and so some of what you're describing was like it was a little bit resume-driven development, like the resume talked about GitLab and Docker containers and Terraform and stuff like that and Ansible, but. And we're like, how did you build that plan? And they're like, well, and it, somebody else wrote the plan for me. I just pushed the button to run it. I'm like, okay, well, how do you troubleshoot it when it breaks? Um, and they they hadn't taken the time to figure that stuff out. Mm -hmm. Um. So, but it's but Klaus. I mean, to me, it's like they, they they're right there. They're just not asking asking the question. Yeah, I I, I get that too. Um, mm. like, for example, with, with CICD, um, it is not uncommon for, um, for companies that don't, don't have a, a team with a basic understanding of the ecosystem to want to develop tools in-house. And then you end up with a, with an ecosystem that does something that is like yeah. what you're looking to do, but it, you, you close the door to so many other capabilities that off-the-shelf tools give you. And yeah, like not having knowledge then of these other tools means that you're like, if you don't go out and seek knowledge, then you're not going to do well in DevOps. Interesting point from that perspective. I can you elaborate? Because I, I I fundamentally agree, but like well, the, 
this is where, going where, back to go yeah, it's going back to what what I said before. Like, if all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Um, mm. You need to understand what tools are out there, what what scenario those tools are better at. And, and for example, like if you know Jenkins, like great, you have a very basic understanding of, of CI/CD, um, but. Jenkins is by nature a push-based configuration management model that you push changes out. Um, if you don't understand that there's other models, um, you you end up trying to shoehorn your solutions into a few number of tools that you do know, and you end up um, doing, you end up creating more work for yourself. Okay, and in, in many cases, it's worthwhile to consider a new tool, spend a week trying to play with it and, and see how it fits into what you want to do than to stick with the devil that you know. I think a lot of people would, would have trouble thinking they have the week is it's part of the false uh, premise that that we have from this is that a lot of times people don't even ask to do that exploration from their management team um, and therefore and don't give themselves permission to do that to do that type of exploration i agree very much with that last part um devops is not friendly to yes men you, you need to have a level of independence um that allows you to push back and say this is not the right tool for this we, like if we do this it will work initially but we're gonna have to we're gonna be running into these problems later on um i i was there before like years ago but and i understand how challenging it can feel initially to push back but um, you need to be opinionated at some point. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's, it's amazing to me just how many times people assume, you know, assume an answer and then don't, don't try. It's, 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 cra it's, it's crazy. Um, and, and it's funny because on the other side of it, right, managers are like, I want people to come to me with ideas. I would say yes, if they wanted to explore that. I, I, I don't want to push people to do that, right? I, I want it to be more organic. And so it, it definitely is a funny uh, communication gap. It's interesting because what we're talking about, I think is intimate, intimately linked to the topic of the day. Maybe we should just go there, which is centralized versus decentralized um, infrastructure and management on this idea of like, what does it take to have centralized control for the types of stuff we're talking about? You know, you shall use Jenkins, you shall use Ansible, or do you know even better? You shall use these playbooks um, versus um, you know every team doing doing their own you know doing their own variations on it, making their own decisions. Um, neither extreme is good, but uh, I mean, how do we how do we balance that type of of process. 
And this also ties into previous conversations that we had in, in other weeks about, well, what, what does it mean to do platform engineering? There, I see a common thread there. That is to definitely um, to produce a solution that is flexible enough to, to meet the needs of your development teams, um, but at the same time, not not let it be a wild west. I mean, I'm sure you have other opinions as well. I, well, it's I mean, God. To me, there's a there. I I, I go back to to. You know, a lot of the tooling that we use was not designed with a collaborative approach in mind. And so there's a whole, there's a layer in here that's interesting to me to, to get to, which is, you know, how do, how do we make it, if, if people want to collaborate, how do we make it pop easier for people to collaborate? Um, but I think there's, there, where you are is the first thing to talk about. It's like, you know, uh, a platform engineering team, and I, I like the emerging definition that I've been. There's a there's a so many definitions of platform engineering. Um, my my preferred one talks about this drive for enterprises to you know consolidate and reuse and have some some centralized um, management of the, the, these processes and, and stop the sprawl. Um, I but. That's got to start somewhere. I mean, to me, this is the question. It's like, does that start at the management layer? Is it is it you shall not sprawl, or is it a cost issue? What's y'all have a thought on, like where people would would look at the the cost? I think mine is figuring that out for your business. So one of the things I've thought about the last number of weeks and months is the common response that people have to certain things, uh, whether it's certain tasks or certain things that should be done is does that bring business or value to the business? Uh, and, And so I think sometimes we use that in a weird sense that like similar to the argument for essentially quote unquote getting rid of ops people is that they're not driving direct value to the business. They're just not necessary. Sometimes it goes too far to, to those points. But the the other thing then becomes is um even if we take the the sprawl example, does that also translate to clouds in the sense that if you're running AWS Azure GCP, you should just pair all the way down to a single cloud or is three enough? Should you be running in five? Should you be running in 10? Uh, and I think that's where it, got, it starts to get really interesting when we talk about things like tools, rationalization, and, and centralizing on a, a single platform or capability is I think it definitely comes down to a, a organization by organizational basis of how much is enough. And, and what is I, your I think goal? That's good. Uh, yeah. I, I was gonna I was gonna spin that out. I was gonna use the multi-cloud example as a concrete one because you know, let's assume that you got there, because a, a lot of companies are, because individual teams made individual choices, right? It wasn't I'm assuming uh it wasn't a calculated decision for companies. And there are companies where it is and and that's great. Um, but assuming it isn't calculated, then you've got teams that made a choice that have experience have people have investment in the cloud that they're using and for you to consolidate somebody's going to be the loser right and they might even lose functionality in that migration 
Well, I would say all of them were technically intentional is that I had options and I picked one for a certain reason. Um, and, and I think when we start trying to rationalize that, I think it becomes certainly a, a difficult challenge to figure out, okay, yes, instead of you running a GCP, you could be running an AWS or Azure. And certainly I mean, one of the things you touched on was the, the tools and the, the capability standpoint. Um, so I think, unfortunately, in many ways, we're just headed towards a, a more complex world. And we have to, to accept that and figure out how best to adjust and adapt to that. Oh, my God, yes. But, I mean, to me, the right answer becomes you, you would change it because you, you have to have a benefit, right? We're back to business benefits. So if you're like, all right, you know, we're on three clouds. We need to be on two clouds. Sorry if you're on you know, Azure, uh, Amazon, I'll pick the leader as a, we're going to, we're going to vacate Amazon um, because we're a pharmacy and we now compete with Amazon. There you go. There's a, there's a rationale for you. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're going to do that, I, I, you know, yay, that's a get out, you know, that's a pretty shallow business rationalization, frankly. I, I mean, I, I think that it's better to talk through. It's like, well, if, if we have your team come out of Amazon, then we're, part of what we're doing is now you might be able to lean on another team or share experience with another team, right? Or the platform team can help you um, be, be successful in Azure GCP because the, the, you know, we're, we're building expertise or we have training materials, right? We're, we're investing in, in the people using those platforms. And so that's, to me, that's giving somebody a rationale to, to pull back or to change course. The question becomes, when we think, think very tactically, how much experience did I lose by making that change though? So you're telling me you've yeah, got these models, right. you've, you've got these, this, this training, but I spent the last year and a half recruiting AWS experts <laughs> who have spent the better part of five or, or whatever years deep in AWS. Now, what do I do? Yeah, no, that's right. And that's, and they've, and they're, they're co-bangled, you know, knowledge about you and your product and what you have to do with the, that cloud expertise. And so, you know, you're going to be asking them to reskill, um, depending on how deeply that skill is. Um, that's, that could be a really, that could be a really hard, um, I mean, I think it's one of the reasons we see so much resistance around platform teams and the centralized controls is that, you know, I, I think the, the individuals involved here are not, you know, uh, they, they, it's hard to get somebody to work against their own skill set. Maybe, I, although we see the same, the same argument with people resisting cloud from on-prem. Uh, so it's not all resume driven development. Uh, but it goes to a, a a very interesting business use case point there, and even in the the on prem versus is cloud standpoint, and, and someone argue that even then it could still be a resume situation or scenario because something is not on my resume. I'm going to push to, to keep it the way that things are on my resume that I continue to to show and prove value. Yeah. It's I mean, at, some, at some point, I would hope that businesses are able to say, you know, we will, you know, help 
you move into this area, give you opportunities, keep, you know, it's, I, I mean, if we have people who are that restricted and I, I've met people like this in, in career, it's like, no, I understand how to do this. I'm, I'm not interested in that. Um, that skill I have is in demand. Um, and, and we'll move on. I mean, we started the conversation talking about Kubernetes, everything. Um, if somebody showed up and said, you know, it's better for our business to use Nomad um, or um, Fargate, um, then, um, you know, would would people leave? I mean, I, I think that's a real question, right? If, if, if you had a business and they're like, we don't need everything that Kubernetes has, we're going to switch to Nomad. Uh, we've got good commercial reasons for it. Are, are they going to lose team members? Possibly. Uh, and this is one of the things that I've talked about recently is the the players. When you start talking about that, it's the companies that want to attract top talent. It's the the IT professionals that want to to be paid well and do things they find interesting. It's the uh, the vendors that are, are trying to continue to grow market and look at new different opportunities. So I would say a business making a conscious decision to say, you know what, we're not going to go Kubernetes. We're going to go a Nomad or a Fargate, or even if they decided, you know what, stick, sticking with VMware or, or just VMs is what's best specifically for the business. Then your opportunity to potentially attract top talent certainly does go down in, or even retaining talent in the sense that when it's time to, to talk about compensation, what a, a vSphere admin might make is oftentimes much different than what a, an SRE or a DevOps engineer is going to make. So there's, there's those tough conversations. That's an interesting. No, I totally agree with you. It's, it's a skills demand question. So does that then make it... Um, I mean, everything we're talking about keeps, to me, driving back to teams having to build their own skill sets um right ideally a lot of the infrastructure stuff or kubernetes pieces all that that would come back to you know uh, teams should want to give those up and maybe, maybe let me let me pivot the question to this right what does it take we're talking about individuals instead of individuals what does it take and Klaus, you deal with this i'm certain in, in your role right what does it take for a team Right, the management of a team, the other engineers on a team to say, you know what, we want to rely on corporate platform engineering team for this rather than hiring people or having the headcount and responsibility. Um, sounds a little SRE like, frankly, but how, how do we how do we get that you know individual team incented to give up some of that? Uh, that that responsibility control um i mean it's partially a value proposition and i i like to think that the way i set up our platform is something that um that makes it easy to present the value um sometimes it's Regulatory compliance. So, so like you, you need to get off this um, this cloud platform because of X, Y, Z reasons. But like you said before, and, and in that case, it's like uh, we'll help you with the transition. Um, but 
yeah, by and large, the the carrot that I use is, is a value proposition. So like this platform is integrated. It means these and these and these check marks. If you run your workloads on it, you don't have to worry about these because we take care of them for you. And for the large part, it is a sufficiently good incentive. Um, typically, the, the majority of the hesitation comes from a perceived loss of control, particularly because I am keen on locking down access to platforms. But, uh, but what I offer in return, um, and, and this was largely facilitated by GitOps, is full control by a declarative con configuration. Like they, they're the owners of their configuration. They're, they decide which version they, they push out and, and when and what flags they, they set. Um, they just, it's just that after they make the decision is handed over to the platform and the platform takes care of that. It's in, in a sense, the same kind of argument that, or the, the same kind of uh, experience that I had with Kubernetes. I, I was for a long time skeptical of Kubernetes because I liked being in control. I was an old style sysadmin where like, okay, I choose what gets deployed on these servers when I orchestrate which upgrade. And um, it took me, it, it was quite a, a paradigm shift to, um, to try out Kubernetes. Um, I, I have to uh, give credit to my then uh, manager, uh, my manager at the time, who said, you know what, I'm going to send you to a training course on Kubernetes. And I, then I got some hands-on experience. And I was like, well, th this actually does what I wanted to. I, I just don't need to put my finger in there. And I tried to replicate that same experience for for internal users. So really, it, I, I mean, it's funny, not and and what in some ways not surprising. It's, it comes back to leadership making time for people to learn those skills. Yeah, I mean, does that? I, I think you know. It's funny because we're talking about platform engineering in the industry very generally, and we're talking about IDPs and stuff like that. I, I haven't seen this part of the conversation discussed much, which is platform engineering is actually going to require people to work on shared, shared infrastructure or shared, you know, ideally a lot of the conversations I see basically are like empower your dev team with an IDP and they don't have to talk to anybody ever again. Um, which drives me insane. And I, I get, I get a little angry, um, and sad. Both. But right, I mean, I think that if we were saying, hey, look, you know, this is making it easier for a manager to have the conversation of you're going to delegate part of this work to another team so you can collaborate. That that that's what we're talking about, right? It's it's giving managers the ability to coach developers to actually delegate and collaborate. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's um, 
and and, and again, it's it's in addition to that, as you said, like you 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 need to make room for um for personal growth. Like you, you need to allow your team to spend a certain amount of time um, just work on a, working on a POC and, and figure out like, okay, this is a new tool. Uh, it can't like, we have so many people or so many teams in, internally that, that can benefit from it. Um, let's just give it a try and, and, and like, time boxed, yes. But it should be sufficient to say, yeah, what I've experienced so far has met the value proposition. This can make our life easier. It's interesting because the framing I always read is developer productivity, developer productivity. Um, It's not, you know, um, it's not the collaboration message. It's not, you know, allowing, giving developers time to do more exploration or learn new things. Um, it, you know, it's funny because it, in some ways that when I read it like that, it ends up feeling like we're trying to chain developers to keyboards, um, you know, more hours of the day because they're, they're that's right. I've, I've seen this narrative all the time. It's like my developers spent 20% of their time doing non-development tasks. Yeah, and that's that's not that part of that should be you know learning and understanding this infrastructure you know and and the things they interact with. Yeah, um, and, and it's I forgot who said it. I, I, it may have been Chris Nova because she she has had several comments about capitalism, but uh, regardless of that, so the uh, there is a. Um, there's a divide between what productivity means for developers and what productivity means for the company. Like, yes. what it should happen is that if you make a developer more productive, they can do the same amount of work with less time. But what capitalism tends to drive companies towards is if I make the developers more productive, they can do more work with the same amount of time. And and that shouldn't be like you, you sh- because then you deprive your, your team from the ability to um, to expand your horizons. And then you, you're, you're kneecapping your teams. This is this is actually I mean, you're making me think of, you know, one of my favorite all time books, which is um, business books, which is Goldrat, uh, the goal and theory of constraints, right? And, and you know, he has, in that book, it's, it all applies to what we're talking about. In that book, it's very vivid, right? They have, like, it, you know, the most expensive equipment they have on the floor, the, the people looked at it and were like, this is the most expensive equipment. We're going to run it as much as we possibly can. And it would build up inventory behind it that would flood the system and cause all sorts of issues. And they made that expensive resource productive without thinking through were they consuming consuming the resources and it's hard to justify sometimes too ideally the you know platform engineering stuff to me is is the system thinking team and 
that's another framing that I don't I don't see as much as I would like to see. It's like somewhere somebody's like looking at is our system well optimized? Um and and that's something I feel like companies don't do well at all. They they and back to the decentralized versus centralized thing. I mean, you don't want a centralized control system that's making all your choices and being a bottleneck. But at the same time, if you're only looking at your group or your department, then you're you're definitely creating suboptima. Yeah. I mean, op- optimization is uh, a two-edged sword. Um, if you do it too late, you're wasteful. If you do it too early, you optimize yourself into a corner. Look, get that art. If you look at it, it's like, let's say across the business, if that specific business unit is driving the most revenue and they've optimized specifically for their group, and that's where the money is. And even in a scenario where, let's say, you optimize every other group, but the fine-tuned optimization that group was able to get is never outweighed by optimizing across the board. Then you run into a business challenge of, you know what? We optimized across the board, but we're still making $15 million less revenue or whatever it might be. So you're you're thinking that if they optimized like do a system optimization, but they're still they're still losing opportunity. I mean, in theory, I don't know that it is because, to some degree, I I would imagine more often than not, you're, they're going to have to give something up that potentially, in theory, could further optimize their specific use case. Oh, uh, I see. I mean, when I think about the gold rat piece, what you the the whole idea of theory constraints was that you look at the system, you find the constraint, um, and then you focus your optimization work on the constraint. Um, and so, and that constraint could actually be a you know could be defined in a couple of different ways. But um, you know, to me, what you just described is is you've got a system systemic problem that has a bottleneck in it and you need, you need to go fix it um, to unlock that $15 million. You're <laughs> inventing numbers, but the, uh, that, that lost revenue. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you say enterprise organization, in theory, there might be a group that let's say is specifically focused on AI and ML and they've decided that, you know, let's say GCP is the best place for our workloads versus the rest of the organization running in Azure. Maybe that honestly is the best place for their workloads to take advantage of that feature differentiating capability. But maybe you decide, you know what, we actually want you to run on Azure. And ultimately, they end up being less productive, less able to take advantage of those specific nuanced features and capabilities. Not to say that that's actually the case, but I mean, I think there is. I think it's. A, I think that's a great example. Keep going. Bit of depth that goes into it. Well, but to me, that's where the platform team is also about the system. And so, what you really want to be able to do is have that team come back and say, "We're thinking of Google. It's off. If it's off, it's I, that doesn't match our Azure mandate. This is our justification for it." And you want the platform team to have the leadership. And the mandate to be able to say, you know, all right, if you go to Google, you have a valid reason, but it's going to cost, our, we, we're not going to be able to help you 
we're not going to be able to do the security. We're not going to have, you're, you're going to have to reskill on this. Like they, this is to me the missing piece. What I love about this conversation is that is concrete, tangible stuff the platform team needs to be doing. Besides just handing you a portal, it should be saying, hey, here's the business impact for this. And you know, actually come back and saying there is a 20% premium or a 30% premium on you making that one-off choice versus coming back and using the platform that we've been building and being able to help you for. Could I, I think the premium might be much more thinking about through this rationalization um, and, and, help, and help with that definition. Go ahead. The, the platform team also needs to be championing for the developers. Like, uh, if you have three developer teams on, on each, each one individually goes to management and says, like, we, we need this feature that's on, on, on GCP because Azure doesn't have an equivalent. Well, management might say like, well, but you're, you're, you're just one team. Like that, this doesn't make sense. The platform team, on the on the other hand, gets to have the birds of view and saying, like, "Look, we have an increased demand for this feature. Um, it, and, and as a result, say, if we if we enable, or if if we add the capability to use um, this to our platform, if we go multi-platform and say, like, okay." Now we're Azure and GCP. Well, then we we can implement XYZ and as a result become a market leader on, on this. Or, or the, 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 looking at it from a different perspective, management has a habit of saying we've used this tool all the time and it's and, it, and we've we've done fine with it. Why do we need to switch? No, this is um, where IT becomes the department of no, right? It's like do it our way or or go go away, yeah. um, and that's not going to work, especially not in today's environment. You have to, they have to be able to um, enable optionality here. Yeah, and and that's why platform engineering is in in a perfect position to to, to as I said, be a champion for the developers and, and say, yes, we've used this so far but we're spending so this much time this much effort into in, in making it work versus switching to a new platform that meets our demands out of the box you, and then you can frame it in terms of capex or, or or opex you can frame it in terms of revenue lost uh which is something that is is at least in my experience, difficult for a deaf team to do. It's it's amazing to me because in some ways this is full back to the idea that we had as an individual stopping, you know, asking for permission to try something new or experiment or explore. You know, in some ways the the idea of the platform team in defining the platform team is to have overhead, just like SRE in this case, right? You part of the overhead of a platform team should be invested in that exploration work. So if you're building it and not saying, you know, like, oh, we're, and I, I see this too much. We have a platform team. We built the platform, migrate to the platform. 
And what you just described is is very different. You're like, yeah, you're gonna. You, we have our preferred stuff. We support that. That's great. But we're always going to listen to the other teams to see and test if we can justify expanding what we can support or looking for a business justification. We got to give ourselves permission to ask. It's a really, I mean, it's it's a really important distinction from that perspective because it lets the platform team be a source of innovation, um, which I I don't think people are you know, discussing like that. Well, I think the other tricky part becomes while you, you do have a platform team, there are still adjacent teams that have to provide assistance and support. So even to the scenario we walked through of adding support or capability for GCP, even then from an operational perspective, it's not just the platform team and the, the downstream development team on the hook for adding capability around GCP. Who would, who else do you pull in? So you still got the security team that needs to okay. either hook in their tools or develop processes uh, around those things from that standpoint. Um, question then becomes who's still on the, the hook from an operational standpoint. Uh, to to manage and maintain what's been deployed into those environments or even build out those cloud environments. Billing. Does does it make go ahead, Klaus, if you were gonna add. No, that, that's just it. Like I was gonna say, like billing is also an, an important one. Yeah, the whole finance piece of getting hooked into systems with cost centers and rolling up budget under there to to accounting and does it make sense? as part of that conversation to, you know, provide a path to retreat as an element to this, right? I mean, it's, it's a little bit, it'd be more investment. Building something more portably is, is an investment, but it, it does give you um, some flexibility from that perspective. Okay, Klaus, I, I got some thoughts on portability across clouds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I tee that up? I, I, cause I, I mean, it, it costs, I, actually, I, let me, let, my, my expectation is that portability for clouds adds across clouds, adds cost and adds effort and adds sustainability pieces. Um, it's but, a trade -off. Yeah. yeah, is it worth it? I mean, Tess, what are you thinking? So I think the, the challenge I see is that people think it's much easier than it actually is in, in terms of the, the technical depth and nuance. Uh, I know one of the things that was often touted even a few years back was, well, just switch your workload from one cloud to the other cloud based upon the current price and and everything will be good. Uh, the, the challenge becomes even spinning up. Honestly, even if you take example, you're in AWS, you're in two regions in AWS, spinning up another region can still be fairly difficult unless you've got literally like a fully automated process of just standing up the entire region of getting everything in place from the, the permissions and the, the the access and images and all those things, let alone trying to do that across an entirely different cloud. I know one of the things that people have often brought up is Kubernetes. 
as a means by which to uh, enhance portability, certainly that would be a capability. To that point, the question then becomes, well, what distribution are you using? Are you using third-party distribution like uh, in OpenShift or something like that? Are you looking to use cloud-managed? There's nuanced difference between the cloud-managed Kubernetes offerings. And are you how, how much can you abstract away some of those differences without them adding just a massive amount of overhead at times? But, I mean, can, is there an 80-20 rule for this where you know you could do you could walk forward in in it without burning the bridges behind you but you know knowing that if you were going to retreat you you the you're going to you're still going to have work to do like you know acknowledge hey i i don't want to be totally locked in but you know the cost of not being locked in basically means i'm going to have to do the work on both clouds on an ongoing basis just to ensure i'm not locked in there is, but but it's backwards. If you go multi-cloud, you're going to be doing 80% more effort and get 20% of the features. Or at sure. least uh, in, in terms uh, of being, like if you aim to be 100% portable. I, uh, to me, the only way you can be 100% portable is if you're actively doing simultaneously multiple clouds. <laughs> There's... Right, it's the, the the effort to do it is high, and if you're not actively testing it, it's like backups that aren't being run. They they don't exist. Right, yeah. but there there are strong differences between various clouds. I, I'm not saying it's not possible because I've done it in the past, uh, but it requires a specific kind of workload to to work properly. Like for example, when I worked. For a blockchain company, uh, like yeah, it, it's absolutely fine to be multi-cloud. Even in fact, we had the mandate to be multi-cloud in order to say, like, yeah, the, this platform is truly decentralized. So we did spin up machines in AWS, in in Azure, in GCP, in Digital Ocean, whatever we could find, just to be able to prove, like, hey, this works, um, and we're not tied to any one. Um, anyone jurisdiction, uh, but when you do that, you're also giving up some of the tight integrations, which with a lot of applications, you end up using that. So for example, if, if you want to use RDS, then you're tied into using RDS, like I am for I, I, RDS access. There's some requirements there. If you move to Azure or, or, or GCP, there, there's going to be different access methods for that. You can choose to run your workloads entirely in Kubernetes then. Say so like, I'm going to run my own database, but then you have to maintain that database. Is is this potentially a place where platform engineering is a value? Like, could you have a, a multi-cloud platform engineering team that then says, look, we're going to do the work to abstract out some of this stuff but if your app requires rds then use rds that's cool you know we'll we'll you know provide a place for you to add that um right it, i mean this is this is platform engineering design which nobody's thought through so we're, we're in but but this this is the decentralized decentralized can you centralize part of it and say hey, all this stuff we're going to own and 
as a platform engineering team, we're multi-cloud, but as a streamlined team, you you don't have to be multi-cloud. But if you build on our base, then you only have to handle the 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 uh, the, the the add-ons, the specifics, the twenty per, the the twenty percent. Is that is that work? Is that reasonable? It, it it should certainly be a platform engineering responsibility to help make it feasible. Um, and, and personally, I I don't think the the stopper is the platform engineering team. Like they, they the platform engineering team would want to make the features available. Again, you're, you're supposed to be the champion for the developers. Um, but if there are restrictions, whether it's compliance or financial or, or whatever that prevents you from being effectively multi-cloud, you need to also be able to say like, hey, we tried this, this is the cost. And then it's a management decision to, to, to say like, is this viable or not? It's, it's, it's kind of the, the same kind of situation as with security audits. Like you, you, you can say this needs to be hardened. We need to take this approach to secure our, our data at rest, or we need to have this kind of audit capability in case something does happen. Um, whether it, who, who makes the decision to actually implement it, that's not security. It's again, the management. So can you convince them that I don't know? It, it's interesting to me, we keep coming back to the soft, but I would consider the soft side, the non-technical -tech, tooling side of platform engineering as, as, as important. It is. Yeah. Until you replace every developer with chat GPT, which <laughs> we know is not going to well, happen. It's, I mean, but this is this is the whole idea, right? This is we're we're trying to get from a place where each team has made their own decisions, which from a corporate governance perspective is is not a sustainable pattern, to, you know, having some collaboration, shared governance between it, and it's it's too much to expect the the team to go through and you know, learn what other teams do and compare notes and figure that out and say, oh, you know, if only we took time out of our schedule and used your whatever to then, right, all right, let me, actually, I'll be very explicit because this is a scenario that doesn't happen and it's the open source dream scenario, then I think it's very hard. And, and that also is very hard to achieve. Here's the scenario. Team, team A is doing something with, with Ansible templates and all that. Ah, let's do Terraform and Pulumi. Yay. Terraform is, is all Terraformed out and they're doing all this stuff and it's cool, but they're like, now we have to hire Terraform engineers. Team B over here is like, we didn't do Terraform, we did Plumi and we think it's awesome. And it's, it's you know, they're, they're bragging about the, the, that. And so what you'd like to see is um, some 
ability for team A to be like, oh, you know what, we'll just use the team B's Pulumi stuff. But to do that, they're going to have to make the investment in switching. And then team B is going to end up being a platform team functionally for team A, because now you're they're using the stuff they wrote and they're going to have to give up time and support for that. And so what you've got is, or operationally, yay, we have two teams sharing work potentially with you know skills overlaps and and both you know team A is no longer doing all this work and doesn't have to hire Terraform engineers, but now they've got to do the migration and teams B now has to take time away from what they do to do the support. I, neither team is going to do that. Um, it has to be pulled back into a into a corporate governance thing. Sort of that's that's the way I keep seeing it. They're right. You so, just aren't incented right. Yeah, I'd, I'd go one level different, so to speak. What programming language are both the teams using? Are they using the exact same programming language? I, in some companies, there there are strong incentives to align like that, but no, I would assume they're not. And so, if they're not, should there be an argument for? both those teams use the same programming language to get the same benefits we talked about with infrastructure set. Yep. Uh, and companies a lot of times will try and come through and, and impose a degree of standardization on that so that they're not right. That this was, we had saw this with Java for a long time, but I, I think that backfired. I think companies found that Java um, didn't create the uniform benefit. And maybe maybe we're looking for platform engineering to create a uniform benefit that's not there along, you know, is is yeah. all right, all right, Martez. Is platform engineering the next Java enterprise? Well, it's it's a it's the same sort of rationalization conversation that we often go through with with tooling and people's skill sets. I think it's a little more nuanced than we want to 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 actually allude to. I, I don't see that conflict, um, but then again, my view on platform engineering is that is that it's um, it's client first, or it should be client first. Like it, it, I agree with like you. Like if you do platform engineering and you say like you must use this tool, and then you're doing it wrong. You're set yourself to pay. Yeah. No, um, I, I I like to describe it as service oriented operations, as in, you know. Providing ser providing service, prefer right. Mm -hmm. it, it, you have to have a service mentality, which is to me what you you've come back to that multiple times. It's like your job here is to enable your customers to be successful. Don't get don't don't think it's to control your customers. Yeah, and and as a result, like if if Team A is standardized on, on Terraform and Team B is on on some Pulumi. Well, yeah, we're going to see if we can meet both of their the, the team needs with with one solution. But if the answer is no, then we shouldn't force Terraform or Pulumi on on either one of them. Yeah, this this is where I think infrastructure is different than than programming language choice. Because my my experience in this is that unless there's something very specific, both teams, if you if you went up to both teams and said, you shouldn't have to do either, we're going to give you an API that does that work for you and we'll manage the infrastructure on the back end, both teams would would shout for joy and be excited. 
if you were if you were still if you were going to keep listening to them if you stopped listening and said you know you know you can have and you can have any model any color car you want as long as it's black uh back to the ford model t uh optimization then um i think that conversation doesn't go as well but i i i most teams do not want to do that if that that work they would if they felt they could they i think they would hand it off yeah well, they, they don't want to be doing this um or at least they, not they as wanna, long as you give them the freedom to work within their environment they, if they want restrict their environment they don't want ownership yeah right and uh, that I'm, to I'm, me that to me is is the, the the success equation for platform engineering that we've been describing is can you give up ownership of part of the the work but keep the influence keep the collaboration yeah okay if you if you make your platform too restrictive then you end up with shadow it um and then of course you you, you fail at making an internal platform that's, that's um, actually part of what made uh java the java enterprise stuff not work by the way was when the java enterprise the corporation was like, you have to use this version of Java and these libraries, and, and they became really slow. Um, then Java, which was probably, it was pretty functional. Um, it became a, a bottleneck where the company was moving too slowly and adopting the new standards. Right? They, they became the bottleneck again. The, the JVM was a success. Like it, it did yes. allow portable applications to a very large degree. Um, Java as a language, it, it did falter. And I, I mean, that's probably a topic for another time, but personally, I, I think it, it was <laughs> I'll add it, I'll over-designed, add it over-managed. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I haven't thought about Java in a long time, so. I, and we're at the top of the hour, so I'm gonna keep from giving myself Java, Java nightmares. <laughs> um, let us wrap up. This was cool. Uh, I, I, I actually, I think there's a blog post in here about the management side of, of platform engineering and, and ensuring that people think about it carefully um, and, and more broadly. So thank you. That was fun. Appreciate the time. Mm -hmm. Have a good day, everybody. All right. Cheers. Bye. I really love when we have these uh, thoughtful conversations that go way beyond the tech and think through the human components of building great systems, of working on how teams interact and work together. And it really comes from our experience and the ability to ask questions of each other that makes these conversations great. And I hope you enjoy them. If you do enjoy them, please come in, join us, be part of the roundtable, bring your thoughts and ideas. Uh, we have an agenda of topics that we post at the 2030.cloud and you can see what they are. Come in, bring your own questions and, and comments and topics and shape how the cloud 2030 goes forward from here. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN. 
where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.